hundreds gathered today to say their final goodbyes to this fallen Louisville police officer, D.D. Megadoodoo. I'm sorry, Mangudu. And we're back. 2019, New Year, same uh, plunge, uh, same hosts. Dan Spaventa here and joined as always by the illustrious Sam Wagstaff. The you call me the DC correspondent in the last episode. That works. The White House correspondent. Right. I can refer to you as, I guess, the New York correspondent. You know, the two cities in the United States, the only two cities. Yeah. And these two cities, a lot going on, man. Andrew Cuomo has pulled a fast one and announced that the L train shutdown that was going to hamper real estate and small business in Brooklyn is no longer happening. That is crazy. I I remember... uh, (laughs) I remember when that was, I guess, first announced, and everyone I know in Williamsburg was like freaking out. And now people I guess it's moved. Not yeah, people literally. <laughs> no, I know so many people were like, "Oh, I have to move before the L shuts down." And now I guess it's not shutting down. Um, man, that reminds me. In DC, actually, there's a new decision that I guess you can bring bikes on the metro any time of day. I don't know how it is in New York, but in, in DC, you can bring your bike on the metro off peak hours. And now you're allowed to bring them on peak hours, which I guess, I don't think it's going to make my commute any better. But uh, a lot of people are like pissed about it, I think, because <laughs> they're assuming they're gonna have to share a lot more car space. Yeah. And the mornings, uh, uh, many of the trains uh, in New York, I don't see how you could a bike on any of them because they're just too packed but i guess we should acknowledge the video we played at the top of the show (laughs) yeah the best video in existence (laughs) is this secretly an antifa tactic to besmirch the fallen police (laughs) if it is then it's a that's some high level trolling i mean honestly I feel like I don't empathize with the newscaster, but I will say that I've heard people really fuck up some names before, and I've always thought it seems like kind of conscious in the moment. You know, like you can't mess up the name like Deirdre Mangadote, I think is what the name is supposed to be. You can't fuck it up that badly without like having some intent. I don't know. Uh, Yeah, the video of this... And I, I don't know, maybe you need to see it to get the full sense of how much this name has been butchered, <laughs> but this is like a local NBC affiliate news, uh, looks like a nightly news show, and yeah, this uh, anchor just gets this cop's name completely wrong. <laughs> And she gives like a half-assed apology and then continues to pretty much butcher it exactly the same way. Well, you got to respect her commitments. So that's a video that's been getting us going. But uh, the the video that's been getting QAnon going, Dan, tell us about this. Sam, I think uh, this is going to be a big hit for the left. Uh, apparently, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez... Both had friends and was a fun person. And it has been exposed 
on video by a QAnon Twitter account. Yeah, this random, like, what, no-name account. I guess it actually has, like, 20,000 followers, but that's it's also following 13,000 accounts, so it's well, basically, no-name you know, in the sense that its uh, name is Anonymous Q. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I was trying to get at, is that it's just a fucking nutty QAnon person who came out. The... The fucking his AVI is the what the Guy Fox mask. <laughs> yes, it is. He's also got a Guy Fox mask in the banner too. Oh, maybe he's saying that he's a member of Anonymous, who also is into QAnon. Sure, whatever. Uh, and of course, he luckily is on Twitter to give us all of his updates. But he said, here is America's favorite commie know-it-all acting like the clueless nitwit she is. The high school video of Sandy Ocasio-Cortez. Right. So this has been part of the right-wing attacks on Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez for everything from being not poor enough to not from the Bronx to, I mean, these are just... And it's the attacks are reaching such levels that even right wing publications like Red State are now saying attacks on Ocasio Cortez are reaching self defeating levels. I mean, yeah, reaching is doing a lot of work there. They were already like this from the start. Every time they come up with one that's like, oh, she's in like a fun video dancing or she lived in a house or she like wears clothing. They're they're always very, I guess, hacky attempts to say that she's either, you know, too well off to be a socialist or something or that she is uh, an, a brainless, you know, nitwit. And definitely there's, like, some sexist kind of undertones, especially with the video that was shared. The idea that, like, a woman who is, I guess, having fun and dancing and is attractive couldn't possibly be a smart, you know, congresswoman or, like, a politician or... When I, I believe she's acting out like she's dancing to like a tune and kind of acting something out from Footloose, which uh, is the a movie Breakfast I Club. Seen. From the Breakfast Club, whatever an '80s movie that normal people who aren't me have seen before, and therefore I feel like this could basically be an advertisement for Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. Right, and it's been seen by millions at this point, and I mean it's just getting roasted. Anonymous Q has really uh, been ratioed here. I'm seeing the latest tally at 35,000 replies to 8.6 thousand likes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's it's not good. She, He's definitely feeling the burn, but he also has this as his pinned tweet. I mean, these, these accounts thrive on this kind of non-controversy, but definitely... QAnon has been, I mean, we, we should maybe go into the the year that QAnon had, a, a, a little late year in review of the conspiracy theory we all know and love. Yeah, I think QAnon had quite a year, and as Alex Nichols puts it in his roundup for the outline, the Tom Clancy military speak... <laughs> Uh, sort of info drops. Uh, these 
guaranteed, Sam, arrests from, uh, I suppose, Donald Trump and some of the QAnon believers also suggested Robert Mueller were going to arrest the Clintons and various other powerful families and individuals, the sickos, Sam, the Illuminati. (laughs) The Bohemian Grove. (laughs) Yeah, Bohemian Grove, uh, in fact, where Alex Jones once, uh, you know, exposed back in the day uh, a bunch of weird rich people wearing like masks and shit but listen this is about QAnon and what can we say about the year that QAnon has had like it's it's defined by these broken promises I'm butchering this but there's this like classic work of psychology that talks about how Basically, if, when you're give the followers of a death cult or an, or a, sorry, not a death cult, but like an apocalyptic cult, people who believe that an apocalyptic event is going to happen and the cult they form or that they work in is geared around preparing for that apocalypse. When the apocalypse does not happen, the members of the cult, the, instead of being deterred and thinking that, oh, maybe it's not real, they just they actually wind up doubling down. And that's kind of what happens with QAnon for sure. I mean, definitely the most recent one was December 5th. My birthday. Yes. (laughs) Happy birthday, Dan. Uh, Apparently on your birthday, QAnon people were expecting the final destruction of the Clintons in the deep state, which, I mean, granted, that's a pretty good birthday gift, I think. I Listen, if QAnon's D5... December 5th was really going to <laughs> like 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 really raise some hell on my birthday I'd welcome it either way I guess uh, they were expecting it, it's a tie-in with like George HW Bush's state funeral and a bunch of other stuff I mean that was a totally like non-eventful day in DC even given the importance of a president's funeral Uh, It's nothing like the panic in D.C. that uh, everyone thought was going to occur in QAnon land. But I guess in general, I mean, this has gone from like this fringe, I guess, interest to becoming something that I'm actively warning like my grandparents about. I'm like, don't get too deep into the internet or in conspiracy. They're like, watch what you're sharing and stuff. Like I'm more concerned about their internet contact than ever because of this. So I definitely saw a friend of mine on Instagram on a story share a, and he was like in the South for Christmas a QAnon billboard that he was driving past. Like, there is a very big QAnon contingent of evangelical Christians. So it's interesting that it seems like in the more red states where, you know, you would see like a Jesus billboard, you'd also see like a QAnon billboard and... It is interesting how this sort of Judgment Day, uh, Second Coming sort of language does emerge when you read their tweets. Right. And I think it's kind of a bizarrely compatible ideology. I mean, 
I guess my limited understanding of Christianity there involves the day of reckoning or judgment day, like you said, on the horizon. And it is in preparation for that event, sort of like the, you know, apocalypse cults I mentioned earlier. It would be funny if QAnon turns into something like Scientology in a, you know, in a few decades where like they, it becomes like an actual entity that has like real estate holdings and stuff. So more, just failed predictions by the QAnon people. Uh, Q said that they would totally maintain the House and the Senate both, and that did not occur. Um, yeah, all year there was predictions that Hillary would be arrested, that the Pizzagate uh, Comet Ping Pong would be f- exposed. Yeah, I mean, they there's all this like bizarre numerology involved in determining when these dates are going to occur. I don't know if you got a sense of that as well. Reading this, there is this sort of like (laughs) ancient math going on. Like they seem to really be calculating these things uh, via methods that are pretty, I think over our heads. Yeah. It uh, it's funny how Alex Nichols draws a comparison between Q and I guess the this Baptist preacher William Miller and his followers who applied a kind of reading of biblical prophecy to somehow determine that the end of days was going to occur between March twenty first eighteen forty three and March twenty first eighteen forty four. And then, of course, once March 22nd, 1844 arrived, he changed the date and pushed it back, which we also see the QAnon people doing. I mean, they did it even with that December 5th thing. After a while, they were starting to talk about how it's December 13th and they're, you know, whoops, we just got it wrong this time. I mean, it's not really there to, I guess, be a rigorous application of thought. It's there to be kind of like, as we've said, a a security blanket, this idea that, there's some, you're, something is going to deliver you from the daily strife and chaos and drudgery of your day. There's going to be this event after which everything is made right, and we will all rejoice in the glory of Q or whatever. And I think, Sam, we would be doing the show a disservice if we did not both search the hashtag QAnon right now. <laughs> Let's see what the algorithm pops out for us. Uh, the storm is now uh, is an account that shared QAnon's share a vision of a dire world averted, a new future unfolded. We have won the great wreck. Oh, the great awakening is upon us. The truth is known. No shadow for darkness to hide as we cross into this brave new ether. Hashtag QAnon. And it has shared this Jetson, Jetsons-like futuristic uh, digital uh, animation. <laughs> All right. Well, I got one for you. This is coming from Boca Vista, at Boca Vista 2016. No idea what that means. I'm not clicking on this guy's account. He says, Dear Dems, Republicans are disowning Mitt Romney, so please adopt him. He's a loser. He's a failure. He's a traitor. He's a P-U-S-S-Y. He spelled it out like that. He's a P-U-S-S-Y in need of a hashtag MeToo hat. Not sure what that is. Um, I added that in, obviously. 
He continues, in sum, he represents your party perfectly at real Donald Trump. Hashtag MAGA, hashtag QAnon. There you go. And then it has an image attached that is just an infographic talking about how um, how Mitt Romney is a pussy and stuff. I, I don't know. <laughs> oh, and of course, uh, the John F. Kennedy Jr. theory. I'm, I'm seeing quite a few memes. Hell yeah. Where we are seeing QAnon believers suggest that Q is actually JFK Jr. And therefore would mean that he faked his own death. Uh, right, of course. From a plane crash, uh, famously, uh, years ago when we were young children, if I remember. <laughs> I'm also seeing one, uh, people sharing a story about Nancy Pelosi's brother-in-law being given like hundreds of millions of dollars in taxpayer money to build a giant solar power plant, which I think is, I guess, meant as some like accusation of grift. But I think you can also apply that to the more wacky people who are going to be like, oh, she's building like a baby control device that turns your children and their pets gay or something. Yo, is the problem that taxpayer money has been used for like a stupid purpose? Like, like aren't we like just spending money like crazy to like enrich the Trump uh, in, like company? Not to mention, all energy companies get massive subsidies. <laughs> Come on, like this is 2018. Like, oil companies don't pay federal taxes and shit. I mean, <laughs> this is not uncommon at all to subsidize energy production. And if it's a solar power plant, it's probably fine anyway. I was gonna say I will mention that in all of these, if you look in the replies, all these posts, you see a ton of, I guess. Mueller people, you know, the resistance people getting in there and saying like, oh, you think this is happening? Well, don't you know that Trump's about to be, I guess, you know, indicted by Robert Mueller and he's going to be strung up by his ankles, which goes to prove our theory that I guess these types are kind of similar to one another. Lastly, there is one guy whose display name is Agent Cooper. His picture is of Kyle MacLachlan's Twin Peaks, Dale Cooper. Um, but his at is DB underscore Cooper. So isn't that like the like guy who like, like disappeared flying a plane or something? Like he like, I don't know, whatever. So he says, is hashtag free energy being kept from us? <laughs> Guess oh which one, uh, this is a meme. Guess which one of your, which one your teachers decided not to tell you about? I don't know who this one guy is. Then one's Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> yeah, these are all so bizarre. Yeah, I think we will see QAnon continue to grow, and with every failed deadline of deep state imprisonment, uh, you know th th their numbers will only expand. Yeah, we're all living on broken dreams in the USA. QAnon people are no different. All right. Y you uh, were kind enough to read up on this story that broke this week. We like to not be hypocritical. So, you know, it's the kind of thing we covered uh, when it occurred on the Clinton campaign with her faith advisor who was a, a sex pest who she kept on, so let's, uh, Sam is going to talk about the 
allegations of sexism in the Bernie Sanders campaign. Yeah, so this is, I guess, been brewing. There was a Politico story about how, I guess, former campaign staffers were going to try and wanted to come to Bernie with, I guess, the, the, the their accusations or their allegations and concerns about the way women were treated on his 2016 primary campaign. And I guess specifically the New York Times article that came out yesterday, day after New Year's, talked about the issues that popped up in the Latino outreach campaign or team within the Bernie Sanders campaign. And this one woman, Juliana DeLauro, reported that I guess a Bernie Sanders surrogate who was actually a Mexican game show host named Marco Antonio Rahil. He's she said that he touched her hair and body inappropriately. And then she reported it to her superior, Bill Velasquez, who was a manager on the Latino outreach team, who kind of laughed it off. Another woman corroborates that this occurred. This guy claims he reported it to a superior who did not respond to the New York Times about this. This one, Mr. Pelletier, I think is how you pronounce his name. But either way, I guess one thing that I've noticed with these allegations, some of the other ones, I guess Samantha Davis was the former director of ops in Texas and New York who said that she was, I guess, ostracized or marginalized after refusing an invitation to her supervisor's hotel room. And Sarah Slayman was one who was a state coordinator in Louisiana who helped build the organization Our Revolution. She says that she doesn't think that Bernie Sanders needs to continue this or be continue to be the face, the sole face of like progressivism or leftism in the U.S. And she's not done with the movement. But after being berated by a male member of Our Revolution's steering committee for suggesting an organizing plan, she, I guess, has doubts about it. I think my takeaway from this was that a lot of these, not to minimize the accounts, but a lot of it is the result, I guess, of the kind of impromptu nature of the Sanders campaign. He kind of announced his dark horse candidacy out of the blue for a lot of people, and it didn't give the people who worked on this a lot of time to, I guess, schedule lodgings that didn't involve male and female co-workers cohabitating and just a lot of stuff that is is dumb and wasn't planned out well and a lot of the people who came out with these stories seem to i guess have take it with a grain of salt noting that the these kinds of sexual assault or sexual abuse or i guess they are there's also a lot of accusations about gendered pay discrimination but they've been up front and saying that this plagues plenty of campaigns and it's not particularly a Bernie problem, but it is something that needs to be addressed. It's They seem really committed to just solving the issue rather than, I guess, scoring political points. And I don't know if we need to take it as like this is... I, I saw Bhaskar Sunkara, what the founder of Jacobin, talking about how these uh, accusations are just evidence of how scared the establishment is of Bernie Sanders. And I was like, dude, come on. It seems kind of fucking hacky. The people do seem pr- who are, who have come forward with these allegations do seem pretty committed to solving the issue. And a lot of these people, one of them said, I think it was Sarah Slayman, who was that uh, coordinator in Louisiana who worked in our revolution. She said like, it's, I, it seems weird to say that I'm done with him because I worked so hard to, I guess, build this kind of 
this machinery that I guess, you know, a challenge to the Clinton campaign was considered unheard of. The idea that there was something further to the left than the Democrats or that you could kind of rely on and take this leap of faith as Sanders did and as the campaign did, that it would pay off. And um, she is very conflicted about coming forward with these stories. But I guess the pattern of dis- of disregard of superiors kind of pushing it off. And I mean, a lot of them would probably say what I said earlier about how the campaign was like a fledgling campaign and didn't have a lot of this stuff figured out or a lot of the, I guess, logistics figured out beforehand and let people negotiate their own salaries, which is a practice that overwhelmingly favors men's salaries and ends up with women getting paid less. Um, they kind of act like this is an honest mistake when I think in most of these cases they could have done something differently, but they use this as kind of an excuse, which I think happens a lot in politics. They're like, you know, you this isn't about you and your complaints. This is about building a movement, and that is shitty. Also, I think it, it's important to note that some or, like, I think most of the women who came forward didn't want to come forward because they didn't want to take away from like the campaign and stuff because they'd worked so hard on it and, you know, believed in the message. It is important to have like real, like practical solutions to this, which uh, I think Bernie uh, has outlined. Yeah, Bernie has responded and says he claims that he didn't know about this. Obviously, it's hard to evaluate that. But either way, he has said that he's introducing a uh, an incident report hotline. He mentioned just some of the steps that I guess previ- people have said he did not do on the 2016 campaign. So that if there is a 2020 campaign and for his own, I guess, Senate campaigns, that these inst- issues won't happen. One thing I think is kind of uh, remarkable with this is that the New York Times story was based mainly on emails um, amongst like the key pet players in this uh, in a, a lot of the. I guess scandals, the most prominent of which was in the Latino Outreach com- Committee, but it revolves around a few, fee f- a few key figures. And I don't want to say it's like just a few bad actors, but it is like very personal. And there is this like paper trail to it that I think is maybe not as easy to find in other scandals that are similar. I guess there was in other scandals, it seems like there was maybe it's it's harder to i guess have sources on it or this the sources were more in kind of backroom or oral i guess uh, communications or confidential stuff that didn't get out and with this it seems kind of more like they're working actively on it and we have a reliable primary sources on what actually happened which is i guess unique well, Sam, if Q uh, has his way, we'll find out about the Clinton emails one day. Q, we need you. We need to find out what was in the emails. But, uh, yeah, you know, it sucks to hear that the campaign you support had these uh, problems that you'd think it's like messages and like policies and ideas would like transcend that. But, you know. It's not like it never happens on the le- on the left organizations either, obviously. Yeah, and I think as we hopefully forge new organizations like the Sanders campaign and like 
Wire Revolution and these, I guess, other organizations that kind of sprung up after 2016. I think there's it's important to evaluate how not to recreate the same shitty patterns that are leading people to support an insurgent campaign against like the Clintons who you discussed covered up awful sexual harassment for decades across multiple entities. I mean, we don't want to be like that. And I think that it's good to do this kind of self-criticism and find out what's going on. And it's not necessarily always some kind of, you know, establishment plot to crush the left. I don't think COINTELPRO is creating these or leading these women to, I guess, share their emails in an effort to improve the organization. You know, that doesn't seem like their tactic. Like I, I, we've all been a part of like organizations that like weren't run well. And it's unfortunate that in that kind of situation, like I think when unchecked, like, yes, certain like managers are really like ignorant about how to like, you know, not be, biased at all i guess one of the takeaways that i would mention is that it reminded me of when we discussed the i guess the sexual harassment scandal that hit the center for american progress which is you know the think tank headed by neera tandon for which a lot of democrats and people who want to become big people in the democratic party work and With that, I remember saying that it's similar to the entertainment industry in that it's an organization where there are these gatekeepers and individual people have a lot of say over what you how your career is going to turn out and it just creates a lot of these opportunities where men can i guess exploit a small amount of power like hey we're stumping for bernie sanders aren't you excited don't you want to come up to my hotel room um you know you don't have anywhere else to stay or oops we're staying in the same room together isn't that funny uh what a happy accident it's so fun to work for uh bootstraps campaign and stuff i you know what i mean it's it's shitty that and i think we need to get good at maybe seeing these kinds of scenarios in advance so that they're not coming out two years later after the campaign and people didn't do enough about it at the time you know what i mean i feel like it's not that it's not that hard to put people in charge or i guess make sure that people know that you can't just do these kinds of impromptu lodgings if you're going to have men and women staying together it does create concerns just because of i guess the way men act you know yeah i think it's a it's pretty fucking obvious why you know you'd want to take that into consideration especially if you are going to be this you know as you said kind of like a progressive campaign you know more progressive than hillary clinton who is claiming that she's like the the best friend of all women yeah, and as we said, you know, this is after she uh, denigrated many women who had accused her husband of sexual assault. But hey, you know, there's there's important stuff going on in the Mueller probe, Sam. I think it's time to move on to a <clears throat> deep state item. There is in Robert Mueller's possession a nude selfie and that's quotes from legal documents folks sam what do you make of this 
Well, I gotta say, this is quite a jump from our very, you know, nuanced discussion of, I guess, the allegations against the Sanders campaign over to the campaign and the president who, for whom no allegations are strong enough, this being the Trump administration at this point, and this idea that there is a nude selfie floating around. I mean, it is, I, I, of course this is totally plausible given Trump's indiscretions, his just his lifestyle. Uh, of course, there's it's possible there's some nude of this man floating around. Do I want to see it though? Do I want to think about it ever? No, absolutely not. I could see Trump being the type to take a selfie on the toilet, like showing his dick, oh. but like you see that he's on the toilet. But he he takes like one of those like messy room uh, thirst trap selfies, but the room is just like you know gold shit like lying all over the floor (laughs) is this a man is this a woman like who is in this selfie and are we to believe that it is the potus good point i i did kind of assume it was a selfie of trump because usually it's his indiscretions and his i guess licentious nature that comes out the most but I mean, yeah, it could be like anybody. What if it's what if it's, it's like it's, the, the, what if it's Putin? Oh my God! What if it's Putin getting pissed on? That would that would be cool. I, I would like that. Of course, it would it would just lay the groundwork for the homophobic Putin Trump jokes to I guess continue perpetuate into just eternity. I meant Putin getting pissed on by a woman. It's heterosexual. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I guess I didn't. Uh, Do you I think that low of me that I assuming. would that I would say that Trump's piss play was involving Vladimir Putin? <laughs> I just don't know anyone who would suggest something like that. Well, it sounds like uh, Saturday Night Live. Uh, that one, you guys can have that one. One day we'll find out who this nude selfie is of, and it will come out. It will come out. I mean, one person I really hope the nude selfie is not of is Jim Webb, the uh, ex-Democratic senator that apparently the White House is considering as the next defense secretary to replace Mad Dog Mattis. He's a big man. He's a tough boy. That's why. He was... he was in Vietnam. Remember in the debate, he was the guy who said, like, they asked him, like, who do you think your enemies are? And he was like, my enemy is the man I killed in oh, Vietnam. Yes. <laughs> Franklin Delano Roosevelt once said, I ask you to judge me by the enemies I have made. You've all made a few people upset over your political careers. Which enemy are you most proud of? <laughs> Senator Webb? I'd have to say the enemy soldier that threw the grenade that wounded me but he's not around right now to talk to. <laughs> All right. He's w- like Cotton Hill, but with shins. Yeah. I, you know what? Why not? He, he, you know, and I remember them saying when he was running as a Democrat, like this guy's basically a Republican. I don't know what he's doing here. Yeah. He's been, he was very critical of like Obama's efforts in Iran. Um, he, he's pretty, you know, a war hawk. He's definitely more of like a, is Joe Manchin sort of, I guess, uh, politician. And he is, I think he's from Virginia. So here people are, uh, only recently did Virginia become like a blue state. And it has been 
purple up until i mean honestly like the last election so democrats here tend to be a little questionable well his trump word turn is not shocking as trump's very popular with certain people and those include guests who spent a thousand dollars per ticket for a new year's eve party at mar-a-lago resort in which Trump was supposed to be there, but he couldn't go because of the government shutdown, as he said he was sitting alone in the White House. <laughs> and he also said that he owns, well, he previously said he owned the shutdown. Then he walked that back, and now he says the Democrat. I mean, he has, you know, the attention span of a goldfish, but either way, yeah, you, you, if you're a Trumper, you you got stiffed. You got stiffed by your your very man the billionaire that you paid a thousand dollars to see for new years yeah all of those like used car lot owners and i mean just who do you think what kind of people are at the mar-a-lago party trying to get you know a, a nice selfie with trump you remember the timeshare guy who in Florida, the Westgate timeshares, I want to say, who like built the largest house in America just <laughs> before the 2008 collapse and then was afraid that he had like lost everything. It's, there's a documentary about it called The Queen of Versailles, and The Queen of Versailles is his wife, and the house was called Versailles. And it was just literally like a recreation of the palace of Versailles. It was like a, a 100,000 square feet, I want to say, or something preposterous. It was just like a joke. That I feel like it's those types of people, the people who are definitely have real deal money, because I guess it is in you know, that exclusive location in Florida, but at the same level, not like you're... I, I don't know. I feel like the average liberal billionaires and millionaires have been excised from this circle at, as you say, Mar-a-Lago. And it, it, it's not the type of people who have any actual power. Like these are kind of just people paying for an expensive meet and greet, and then he just didn't show. <laughs> so they're just eating this shitty buffet, champagne toast. Yeah, given that this isn't just for like Mar-a-Lago club members, this is probably for like every small business tyrant across the florida people definitely drove down from the panhandle for this shit the salt the, the salt of real america and that's what that's what's at stake these days um because all kind we're witnessing all kinds of foreign threats to the united states and of course i'm talking about this canadian man who has arrested the white house trying to get in to see trump and give him like two bottles of crown royal so apparently this man was trespassing on the white house lawn telling the police and secret service that he wanted to sit with donald trump and have donald trump help him find a wife all right, you're a huge Trump fan, and you don't know that Trump doesn't drink. I was gonna say it's like the first thing that I thought of when I saw this was that Trump famously is a teetotaler and has been for a long time. Oh my god, did you see the name? Yanni Georgiopoulos. That's a Greek. He's he's a Greek Canadian man. He's a happy, proud man. He just needs. Help finding a wife, and who better to ask Donald than Donald Trump, who has had like nine wives? 
Yeah, and it's interesting to have a Canadian, a foreign national, if you will, uh, seek dating advice from our Lafario president. That's true. I, and, you know, I think we need to have solidarity. If we're going to be left-wing people and believe in open borders and shit, then I absolutely... This guy is being held in jail for a mental health evaluation just because he was trespassing at the White House. I mean... He he wasn't there to hurt Trump. He was there to like hang out with him and drink Canadian whiskey. He was there to get him fucked up. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. He's like one bottle for you, one bottle for me. They're both Canadian, just like me. I mean, two bottles of Crown Royal. That is definitely not just for him. I'm a little disgusted because in the picture for this, in this article in the Ottawa Citizen, they have the Crown Royal Rye, which is like this has this disgusting green label. I've never seen this before in my life. I mean, I lived in New Orleans where this is like Crown Royal's a thing down there, and I'm just so used to it being purple, and it's hurting my eyes. This green, it's I really can't get over it. Maybe we should have some respect for this man's willingness to like break the rules like his dedication to uh plow past the no trespassing signs just because he wanted trump to handpick him a wife yeah i think we have to have solidarity with this man he's a he's a humble immigrant trying to trying to make it to washington and hear from the the highest seats of power how he should live his life this is this is the American dream, maybe? Listen, in a just world, we'd all be able to just go and get a spouse from the White House. <laughs> well, oh, on that cheerful note, let us uh, I guess let's leave politics behind and move into our pop culture corner. Yes, and we both viewed Netflix's Bird Box, as I'm sure many of you did. The worst fucking title on earth. Yeah, and I have to say, I was looking for the birds and the box to play a bigger role in the film, and they did not. The bird box was basically Sting from Lord of the Rings. It's like, the birds chirp when monsters are near. It was Sting. Let's, let, let's talk about the plot a little bit. You got Sandra Bullock as uh, the movie opens, and she is this... Uh, mother to two children and they are uh, getting ready to go on this harrowing journey and she's preparing the children for a harrowing journey across a really long river that's going to take days for them to traverse and then we go back in time and Sam what led to this situation so the these the thing I'm not sure if you mentioned is that all these Sandra Bullock and her two kids have to wear blindfolds the whole time and just they're not. She literally tells them, if you take the blindfold off, you will die. The reason for this is that I guess they flash back and there's an attack kind of on humanity by. But it, it takes the form of people, I guess, committing suicide out of nowhere and they tend to look at something and move towards it, and then they 
kill themselves in some grisly manner in a kind of like final destination way. I don't know how to explain that. All right, like, like, like a... M. Night Shyamalan's The Happening. Unfortunately, I have to bring it up. <laughs> okay, yeah, not to give it too much credit. But either way, uh, Sandra Bullock, as is the, this is like the plot of every one of these Netflix movies, she like holes up with just this diverse crowd of random people, including the the kind of like conservative owner of the house that she's holed up in, who is played by John Malkovich. Uh, who are some of the other characters that they're in this house? Well, it's quite star studded, actually. Uh, you have Lil Rel, who, yeah. uh, you know, fresh from Get Out. And uh, he's got his own sitcom on Fox now. I really like him. Uh, he was uh, really enjoyable in this movie. Uh, you have uh, Trevante Rhodes, I think his name yes, is. Yes, yeah, the actor from Moonlight. Moonlight, yes, and he was great. Uh, he was kind of the other main character. And, oh, you had Machine Gun Kelly, like the rapper. Yes. Time. was in there so you have like all races and you know all different types of people uh hold up in this house you know your classic disaster movie scenario like they are unable to oh bd wong how can you forget absolutely i thought the first act oh and sarah paulson plays sandra bullock's sister in like the first scene Yes, in the first act. Yes, and she is affected very quickly uh, by the whatever force and uh, crashes her car. I, I don't know. The movie was very loud, very uh, very gloomy to look at. I don't know. What did you make of the way the plot ended up panning out? I definitely think that the this movie it's definitely got that Netflixy feel where it seems kind of like an algorithm made it because it's like seventeen other movies stitched together. It has elements of like you said the happening. <laughs> um, it's got there's just a lot going on. It calls back to a lot of kind of monster movies. Uh, it also reminds me of A Quiet Place, which came out last year with John Krasinski, where that time it was you can't make any noise. This time it's, you know, you can't look at anything or else you commit suicide. And there are also these kind of, it, it kind of mixes, there's like a monster movie aspect to this. There's We're led to believe that the forces that cause people to commit suicide are monsters like they're creatures they're always referring to them that way yeah i kept laughing and i know you weren't a lost fan but i was like oh is this the smoke monster <laughs> <laughs> yeah even i know the reference i mean definitely it was it was just trying to be a lot of things um it has they have to try to mess with the narrative structure so it tells the flashback and the present day story of going down the river, you know, the, how we got to this river scenario and the river scenario itself at the same time. And uh, there's, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of things that I think like, sort of like you said about the bird box, you thought it was going to be more important and it turns out to be basically sting from Lord of the Rings. There's a lot of this 
attempting to make certain i feel like there were like a lot of ideas that went into us that maybe i guess got flushed or mixed in together with everything else that's going on in the film let's let's start with the third act because i really feel like that's when the movie gets kind of ridiculous so if you don't you know want to hear about that this is a spoiler alert um jesus christ why did tom take off the blindfold just to be dramatic, I mean, someone's—he has to sacrifice himself for the white woman, I guess. Yeah, and I guess we should say like, it was a little odd that both Lil Rel and uh, uh, Charlie and Tom, both of their characters, like both black men, had to sacrifice themselves to save yeah. the white the whites. Yeah, Lil Rel sacrifices himself when they go to get groceries, and then when they bring the groceries back, they don't take it out of the car, and they just leave them in the garage in the car, and then the car is stolen by like Machine Gun Kelly and the lady cop. Yeah, that was a little irritating, especially because it was like, uh, they brought some of the groceries in, but you could see in the car, they just like clearly like so much of this harvest was just like snatched. Right, and the fact that a man died so you could, like, eat. <laughs> and then also, <laughs> afterwards, they never go to the grocery store again, as far as I can tell, but they don't run out of food, and, like, months pass, and they're still in the fucking house. <laughs> I mean, the continuity was definitely, like I said, I feel like they tried to do a, a lot in, a, in not much time, but, the, I mean... Okay, the strength of the movie was definitely the acting. Sandra yeah, because they had actual actors. Uh, yeah, Malkovich... Um, yeah, Trevante Rhodes, like they all were really. Uh, I mean, if they, if they didn't sell sell it, like this would have been an awful experience. Which I don't think it was until the third act. When, like I said, like at a certain point, uh, they let a couple of people into the into John Malkovich's house, and one of them is a woman who is also pregnant. So you kind of infer, oh, one of the kids is not is not Sandra Bullock's, right? And Sandra Bullock and this woman give birth within the con the time span of the movie. So we see the kids, bo- I guess, be born, and then at the end when they're being on the taken down the river by Sandra Bullock, they're like fully grown kids or whatever. They're like eight or something. I don't know. They're a couple years old. <laughs> yeah, and. I mean, it was long as hell. There's a lot of plot to go over, so we're kind of just doing like the bullet points. But they let in uh, this other pregnant woman and this British guy who tells them about the insane people who uh, sort of don't they they embrace the whatever the vision is, and it doesn't make them commit suicide. It just makes them kind of like violent. Yeah, they just it's not really explored, but there's this kind of. They, they get this like devil may care attitude uh, and start driving around. This movie is also very similar to the movie This Is The End, which is a kind of a parody. Yeah. It really is. <laughs> yeah. and it's, but that movie is a parody. It's a Seth Rogen movie, like a stoner comedy that's like a parody of this kind of genre. But this movie so closely resembles the parody, which is why we have concerns about it. But yeah, and this is the end. There's like the roving hordes of cannibals that survive the kind of like biblical event that leads Seth Rogen and the other celebrities to hole out in a house similar to the events of Bird Box. And I guess these these zombie characters who like 
don't commit suicide when they see the creatures are kind of reminiscent of that to me. So, yeah, this British guy is, as it turns out, uh, letting him in. And John Malkovich is kind of this, like, Trump supporter, like, really, like, like you said, conservative, like, kind of very, like, doesn't want to help any outsiders sort of perspective. Um, Doesn't want to let him in. Everyone else is like, come on, what are you doing? So they lock him and they lock Malkovich in the garage. Right. (laughs) And they let this guy, uh, the British guy in. And of course, it turns out the British guy is one of these insane people. Right. He starts like ripping down all the shit they put on the walls to block out their the vision of the creatures on oh, the windows. Yeah. And he, oh, he did this terrible, like, they kept doing this thing where they would, like, hold, he would hold people's eyes open, like, force them to, like, look at it, look at it. Again, trying to do, like, 20 movies at once with the kind of, trying to explore the pathos of this guy. Yeah, like, Clockwork Orange, sort of, trying to, like you know melt their brains by forcing them to see an image right but you get the sense that there's going to be some exploration of like the the mentality of the the zombie people but we never get that because the guy just i think they just off him and like flee a couple years pass the kids grow up uh you have the only survivors are tom who's trevante rhodes and uh sandra bullock's character who i don't remember the name uh so basically they're ready to like like leave at any time and they have like a walkie-talkie system that they keep checking to see if anyone, you know, the classic disaster movie bullshit. Yeah, I am legend. <laughs> yeah, really. Like there was a little too much time of that. Like this movie could have been like 90 minutes, I think, if they'd really <laughs> But if yeah, if they didn't do like 50 movies at once. <laughs> so they get a dispatch uh, from a nice sounding man who tells them to go down river and if they have any kids with them that they shouldn't go because the kids will not survive and you already know that they Sandra Bullock has decided to take the kids down river so you obviously know that like shit's about to go down and then shit goes down Tom decides to take off his blindfold so he can shoot all of the marauders. Yeah, the zombies <laughs> who like come after them. I guess that's the only reason they're like invented is to be like a threat as a because otherwise I guess if like once they walled up the windows, they wouldn't be at risk at all from the creatures anymore. They had to make another threat appear. Yo, also the whole movie I feel like is building to this like ascent through the rapids. Yes. And it was like a minute long scene and like barely in, like it it wasn't like the boat flipped. I've been in a canoe that flips. It's not a big fucking deal. You flip it and you get back in. Yeah, also I mean, I'm I'm no like heavy duty Grand Canyon Rapids guy or anything. Those are like some pretty manageable rapids. Like I've seen more intense ones in like Virginia. I did like the sort of like Sophie's choice, I guess, moment where she, you really, I really thought she was going to choose the girl who's not her daughter, uh, her blood daughter to have to like, like uh, take off the blindfold to like make sure they didn't hit the rocks. Yeah. Which was like the advice she got. Yeah. And then she decides to not do that. Right. And just risk it, risks it. And then, yeah, the rest of it is just like this kind of. 
I guess, tense, like, uh, movement towards this, you know, imagined refugee camp, which they do eventually arrive at, and it's a happy ending. And uh, a detail from the book that I thought was interesting that they kept out of the movie was that a lot of the people at the refuge when they get there uh, had blinded themselves, like, poked out their eyes so that they couldn't see the thing that was making everyone kill themselves right and it was it's a school for the blind that ends up becoming this which is why like they're alive yeah right which is why they're alive because they haven't been able to see it yet but this movie has become just insanely popular and it's become so popular that netflix decided to tell the world how many people watched it or how many accounts watched it or you know and then defined what a watch is for the first time So, Sam, they seem to have a very, I don't know, it's a shaky definition of watch. It's really, like, how, I mean, how really, like, web traffic and uh, those sort of metrics have been, like, abused by, like, internet companies to, like, kind of inflate their popularity. For sure. I saw a tweet that said, okay, so... Netflix claims that 45 million accounts watched Bird Box in the first seven days on the streaming service, and a watch is defined as viewing at least 70% of the movie. That counts as, like, one view. And I guess they it's, like I said, like you said, it's kind of, ha- like, hokey to, I guess, quantify what a view is, but I did see one take that said like oh if it was 45 million box office tickets then that would be more money than the force awakens the star wars and i was like okay but i just speaking for myself would not have watched this if it wasn't on netflix which is a service that i borrow from a friend i do not pay for it myself so i don't know if it's exactly this cash cow I do think it it is like something of a cultural phenomenon because it is kind of I feel like being talked about a lot like it's the People magazine story that came out today showing that the house uh in California where they are holed up in the movie has become a tourist attraction. Yeah. Of course. That article kind of showed uh, along with the uh, I guess it was a thing that these videos of people like tying blindfolds to themselves and trying to like do things outside, um, like that became uh, a thing Netflix had to like denounce, like a Tide Pod sort of situation. <laughs> yeah, I guess it was called the Bird Box Challenge because in the movie they're depicted using like ropes and other, I guess ways to feel around outside and do average things without having to look and therefore see the creatures so overall with bird box i'd say it's worth a watch but i don't know to me it kind of fell apart in the third act would you how would you rank it next to a quiet place which i think this movie is the most similar to did you like a quiet place better definitely a quiet place i feel like had more technical feats in it like there was it was more like artfully made i think like there were no like themes in bird box it's kind of like what so like 
they're like the birds in in like their the box is like they can't go outside and then like at the end they like let the birds go and it's saying like oh they're free now <laughs> yeah that is something with the netflix movies i find is that they tend to be impossible to interpret like there's no there's no takeaway even it's not even like they there's a takeaway that's easy to pick up on because it's hacky it's just like they're not interpretable like can you interpret bright no you fucking can't and can you interpret bandersnatch oh god this i I will take uh bird box over bandersnatch any fucking day oh totally so bandersnatch if you don't know uh is the other main netflix drop from around new year's was this Black Mirror movie interactive where you could select your own endings. And Sam, the story of this episode essentially is you're this mid-20s kid who's starting at a video game company. In like the 80s. Yes, and he takes some acid and goes nuts. I mean, yeah, that's pretty much it, right? That's pretty much it. I mean, genuinely, it's not even a good episode of Black Mirror, which I feel like we've discussed Black Mirror and how it can be pretty hit or miss. But at the same rate, I guess this one was just unintelligible. And I don't think it's a result of the fact that you the gimmick in this is that you can choose certain details like the music that you listen to or you can accept an an offer from the video game developer or you can refuse it and do the video game on yourself by your own you even get the option to chop your dad up into little pieces you know spoiler alert at one point but in general it, it did feel a lot like a playstation 4 like video game like during the cutscenes and like Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> my pro- but my problem was it was like those Telltale games where there's no real like you don't actually it's like a simulation of choice. You don't actually have any choice. Like the plot is yeah. like the same basically every time. And I don't know about you, but any time I got to like an ending thing, it like rerouted me. So I feel like I got the whole experience, even though I guess I didn't see all of these fucking endings that uh. I pulled up uh, so we could take a look at them, but uh, is there anything else to this plot? I guess, like, he works with this, like, famous developer who's also kind of a younger guy, and that developer uh, kills himself, I guess, jumping off a a thing when they're tripping on acid. Or does he? Yeah. That's literally the plot. I didn't get that. I was like, oh... So his girlfriend wasn't there because she, I, I don't know. I just, who gives a shit? Yeah, that's literally what it is. It's literally like, oh, we sh- the the it sh- the episode shows you one thing, and then the next fucking frame, they're like, that actually never happened, and but or did it? And it's like the whole it's fucking like, thing. It was it's a dream, it, or was it a drug trip? Were you on acid, vision. or was he tripping? Did they actually the guy actually jump out the window or not? Who knows? And I will tell you that reading, we read all the endings that you can possibly trigger in this awful fucking episode. And they're all stupid. Not one of them on their own would stand up 
as a, I guess, uh, an, an an episode of Black Mirror, or like a reasonable ending to anything, if that makes sense. Like, no one of these scenarios is a good ending. There's all, also, they try, they really bit off more than they could chew. Talk about, I guess, Netflix movies tending to be like 18 different things at once. This, th- there's a lot of, there's this breaking the fourth wall option. At one point, you have the option to alert the main character who is, through the course of the plot, steadily becoming aware that his, decisions are being guided by an outside force which is obviously you the watcher and the chooser but you get the option to break the fourth wall and tell him about netflix or something and then that affects it i did not choose to do that when i watched this and like i said just seeing the outcome like reading the outcome i'm just like none of these are good none of this would be if you're gonna break the fourth wall you can't just do it willy-nilly for like a video game option I did choose the like Netflix option, and it like he's like, well, what's Netflix? And I was like, this feels like a fucking like Chuck E. Cheese game where I'm like sitting here and I have to like, like <coughs> it felt so, it felt so contrived and annoying. <laughs> like I, I, I hated it. And also, b- both of us have been talking about how we finished the story in red dead redemption so it's not like we don't like this sort of like i spent so many stupid hours on that game and just like oh i hope that my like my cowboy comes out okay in the end and like choosing everything all the responses and things and that like i'm i don't mind that as a narrative device in like video games but in those games it like pays off and you there's it's you're just an aspect to the game it's not like the whole it's not a gimmick of a movie you know what i mean that's what this sort of felt like and i also as a last point to show how like dystopian this is bandersnatch apparently might open the gateway to writers rooms being guided by viewer choices oh god which is like a grotesque idea like there's a reason why like one person's the viewer and then you have like the creative team who makes a thing like you shouldn't have input in it (laughs) well let's end the pop culture corner by just uh shouting out a man who has made us laugh so many times uh, in his performance as marty funkhauser on kirby enthusiasm it's uh, Bob Einstein, who passed away, uh, I believe, from cancer this week. And he was also known for his character of the deranged stuntman, Super Dave Osborne. We are going now to Super Dave Osborne, who has once again promised us something spectacular. Super Dave? <laughs> Super Dave, are you almost ready for today's stunt? Yes, John, I am. And I'm getting ready for what will probably be my most spectacular stunt. Is it going to be even more impressive than when you tried to mate with a blue whale? Yes, absolutely. Uh, You know I've been a stuntman all my life. All right, now what I'm going to do, I'll have to ask for quiet from the crowd. I appreciate that this many people showed up today for this event, but I'm going to have to ask for silence because the timing of what I'm doing now is very key. Now, it's all between me and the man in the crane and don't do anything until I say go, what they're going to try to do is crush me with an 11-ton metal...
I'm okay. Uh, I had a problem. I had a problem. Uh, this is not an excuse. I don't make, Super Dave doesn't make excuses. But it wasn't the blindfold that did it. It's just that what, what I arranged with the guy who was running the crane, what I was supposed to do was I was supposed to put my visor down then lock into the wall and then he wasn't supposed to move the ball until I said go. Wait, I didn't mean go. Uh, Sam, what are some Bob Einstein, I mean, Funkhauser moments? Because this was, I mean, this is probably like my favorite character on Curb, or <laughs> one of the top. I mean, just of all the like irritating Jews on the show, he was just a, a special character. And he is also just constantly like humiliated or devastated by Larry David, the character in the show, and also Larry David as the writer. I mean, in the course of Curb Your Enthusiasm, Bob Einstein as Marty Funkhauser. I mean, Marty Funkhauser is kind of a straight man and an, an upstanding, nice guy relatively to, compared to Larry David's just pure like selfishness and flouting of social mores but (laughs) Larry killed both his parents in the show (laughs) no his both his parents are dead his Jeff Larry's best friend has like sex with his mentally disabled sister which is very problematic (laughs) but like geez no I mean this character really goes through it and um, he always like he's so serious and uh, especially just... in his turn towards Judaism in the later seasons. Yes, yes, he does. He tur- he turns towards like be reinventing himself after his divorce, I guess, to become a Jew and very funny stuff. But he always plays this kind of, I guess, he's always genuinely like devastated by how rude Larry is to them and they're supposed to be friends but Larry's like this to all of his friends which is why he has so few friends and they just treat each other like this and Marty just seems to not pick up on that and he's just genuinely so devastated every time like Larry steals flowers from this roadside memorial to his dead mother I mean Larry really fucks with this guy yeah okay I want to play a clip from that scene right here because it's just one of the greatest like line deliveries uh, ever hey why did you leave that stupid message on my answering machine what i don't want to hear about the money yeah. anymore no one will take this money i couldn't give it to a bum listen to me i don't care about the money someone stole flowers that were marking the spot where my mother was hit in a wheelchair really yes I'm not a violent person, but if I find this guy, I don't know what I'm going to do to him. Hmm. I can't believe that a human being would do that. How would you even know the flowers are missing? I keep track of it. I drive by there ten times a day. Okay, you know what? You should go home now. Don't worry about the 50. I don't even care about it anymore. You know. What is that I smell? What? There's no smell. That's a white lily. I don't even know what, 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 a white lily? I know a white lily. Huh? I got a good sense of smell. What are you doing? Where are you going? 
There they are. I knew it. Hi, Marty. Hi, how are you, Cheryl? Boy, those are beautiful. Thank you. Where'd you get them? Larry just brought them home for me. Where'd you get the flowers? Did you take the flowers at my mother's site? What? What? They wouldn't take the 50 at the flower store. How could you do that? Why? There's so yeah. many of them. I didn't know it was such so a big... So many of them? Is that such They're a not there to pick? Oh, my God. You are the I lowest that, of the low. That's just I have never That's heard of oh, like that. How many flowers does she need? You took flowers from Marty's oh, mother? a graveyard? Well, not a graveyard. It's a roadside memorial. It's not such a... Come on. I feel sorry for you. If you weren't my best friend, I would take my bare hands and pop your head off your neck. He's not my best friend. You better get those flowers. In that scene, you can tell how, I guess, he's supposed to, like, genuinely feel this. But he's also, Bob Einstein's a funny guy, and the character is funny. And And it's all improvised, so you know there's a level of Bob Einstein's clearly inserting some, like, personal anxieties onto this character. For sure. But... I love it also when he's allowed to like let loose like the scene when um, cousin Andy is has insisted on ordering crispy onions from the golf club and he's like taking forever to eat them and the slow golf players getting get to leave and before Larry and his table so they're gonna play golf slowly on the range and Bob Einstein or sorry Marty Funkhauser just looks at cousin and he's like are you done shoveling that shit into your face And let's end our tribute to Bob Einstein with this uh, scene where he cracked up uh, Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, very much for real, this was the first take they got, and apparently like Jerry's reaction was very genuine, that he was kind of like, uh, the, the, the joke is very funny. Uh, cover your ears for this one, sensitive listeners. Jerry, Marty Funkhouse. Hey, Marty, how you doing? How you doing? Good. Want to hear a joke? Oh, he, no, he doesn't want to hear really. a joke. We got to read through. Yeah, we got to. Let me just get right through it. Okay. A woman's very afraid of the size of her opening. What is she afraid of? The size of her opening. So she goes to her mother. She says, what am I going to do? I'm so big down there. When I marry Harry, he's going to divorce me. Her mother says, don't worry, sweetheart. It runs in the family. Do what I did when I married your father. Go to the market, get some raw liver. Put it in there. I'll never know the difference. Oh, my God. So she does. They have eight hours of sex after their marriage. She wakes up at 10 o'clock. He's gone, but there's a note on her pillow. It says, my darling Harriet. To think that I waited a year to consummate our love relationship makes my heart beat so loudly I'm surprised it didn't wake you up. The only reason I'm not here now, darling, is I'm at work to make enough money to buy you a house, a picket fence, we'll have dogs and children. Ah, this is not so bad. Oh yeah, this is great. Will you finish the fucking joke already? When the five o'clock dinner bell rings, I will be home like the winged gossamer of your love in your arms, your loving husband, Ah, Harry. Ah, that's nice. P.S. Your cunt is in the sink. (laughs) Okay, you told your joke. Let's go. How good is that? It surprised me. It surprised me. I had no idea it would be that revolting. Ladies and gentlemen, please hold the work. Let's take our places for the table read. Okay, let's sit at the table. Go sit in the bleachers. Great meeting you. Yeah, nice meeting you too. Big fan. Thank you. Thank you. I like that guy. All right, folks. Uh, Rest in peace, Bob Einstein. uh, Hilarious man. And... uh, he will definitely be missed. I mean, this was like uh, he had to. He this is someone who his comedy career dates back to like the Smothers Brothers. Like he was a writer on 
And, yeah, uh, yeah, this is a huge loss. We're only list- we're reminiscing about Kerber enthusiasm because we're young, and that's like probably the only thing he did that was like within our lifetime. But he got you know put on Kerber enthusiasm well, because Larry knew he was a legend. He did have that great uh, role in Arrested Development as the surrogate. That's also true. I love that scene. But you have a story for story times, so let's do it. Okay, so this story happened to me at the end of high school, so I'm like 18 at this point. Uh, this also involves someone that Dan knows, so he, he'll, he'll like this. But either way, I had this friend growing up i i guess we grew apart in like second or third grade so you know when i'm like seven or eight years old i'm not, I, not really you kind of have your friends at that time but you don't really have to like actually know them you have a lot in common because you're you're little kids you want to play video games and do the same stuff and i guess after he moved away from my town i didn't really talk to him at all but he didn't move very far. He just moved to a different school district and none of the towns in the area that Dan and I are from are really that far from one another anyway. But after I want to say like, I guess it was probably like more than 10 years since I had talked to this kid. My, my mom who works in a library and that he apparently patronized said that he had come up and talked to her and asked for my number because he'd been going through kind of a lot and like he had lost a family member recently. And I've, of course I was like, yeah, sure. I mean, I used to know this guy. I don't know what he's been up to since, but you know, he's having a bad time. I, I can't not hang out with him. And so I, he, I get like dinner with him and my like high school girlfriend and uh, he's just not he's very uncouth <laughs> like he's i don't know in general just like ki- kind of uh, says what comes to mind really quickly kind of like sexist and st- even for the time period for like the late 2000s i mean i i don't know he was it was a little embarrassing at first so uh, through the whole thing but I was kind of like, you know, he's, this is hopefully he's feeling better. This is why he's like delving into this territory. But on the way back, I will just never fucking forget the specific like syntax this kid used when he was describing (laughs) something. This came out of completely fucking nowhere. I'm driving my like, my like 2000 Saturn, which is no longer in existence, but uh, I'm driving my, my girlfriend at the time is sitting in the front front seat and this kid's in the back and just unprompted. He's like, man, one time I was fucking this girl tits so big. Couldn't find my dick. (laughs) Locker room talk. I mean, I want to chalk this up to like average Jersey encounter, but it, it was the, the the fucking embarrassment I felt after that was said. Like, just course, I don't like, want to. I, I don't want to be like this, but that is very like you know Steve Carell, forty year old virgin, like the sandbags like line. <laughs> You know, yeah, it's very There's like virtual. Like <laughs> I I have no idea how to interpret that statement. Obviously, like you, he just he, he couldn't find his dick amidst the the tits, which were so big. I guess doesn't speak I, well for his penile size. 
Yeah, I was going to say, if you're trying to do like a masculine boast, it's kind of a self-effacing one at best. But there was no way to explain this, obviously, to my high school girlfriend. And I I don't know. I eventually, I think I hung out with them like a few more times after. But I was like, you can get over this loss on your own. (laughs) Because I didn't really like him. But that that one statement will never fucking leave my mind. Just it's so big couldn't find my dick i will i i might as well have it tattooed on my like cerebellum i will never fucking forget it well folks you knew you're gonna get stories here but you didn't know you were gonna get stories that good <laughs> yeah this show really took a raunchy turn towards the end what with the bob einstein uh marty funkhauser joke and uh, this particular story well we appreciate anyone who has listened to us in the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah, for all you sheeple. Yeah, I would say uh, Bandersnatch, uh, Black Mirror, Skip It, Bird Box, uh, you know, if you're like, you know, up at like 1 a.m., it's, you know, you can enjoy a watch of it maybe, but I'm not going to be one of these people who stands Bird Box. No way. <laughs> It is like fun every time there's some kind of cultural event like this where everyone kind of watches the same thing and people, I guess, debate it the way they wouldn't some other kind of more obscure culture. But that's really all that there is there. And uh, hopefully nobody's taking this too seriously because it is it does reek of content. (laughs) It is truly content. All right, uh, at Spaventacular, at Wagstank, at Plunge underscore podcast. And that is it. Goodbye. R.I.P. D.D. Mega Doo-Doo. <laughs> All right, we're going to play that one more time. <laughs> Hundreds gathered today to say their final goodbyes to this fallen Louisville police officer, D.D. Mega Doo-Doo. I'm sorry, Mangudu.